Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade games. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Neither character is entirely based on a real person. However, what was interesting, and I learned this when I um, joined the project, is that um, Ivan Ivanovich is the actual name of mannequins they used to use when they were testing the Russian Vostok spacecrafts. So they used to have these uh, test mannequins they used to put inside things to, to like, obviously test them out. And they were called Ivan Ivanovich. Ivan is kind of based on those. And if you were to Google Ivan Ivanovich and look at the, the dummies, you would see a striking resemblance between them and our character. Welcome back to a new episode of Apple Arcade Plus. You'll be hearing from Matt Duff, the head of the design team for Little Orpheus. Little Orpheus is a delightful, story-driven, episodic game that I fell in love with right away. The personality and style of this game is simply great, and the characters are fantastic. Without further ado, here's my interview with Matt all about Little Orpheus. Enjoy! Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you very much, Tim. So can you first introduce yourself and your role in creating Little Orpheus? Yeah, of course. So my name is Matt Duff, and I am a lead designer on Little Orpheus. I was mainly responsible for running the design team and then working alongside the other leads and the directors to ensure the overall vision and the quality of the game. Cool. So with the design team, what aspects does that entail? Is it visual, audio? What part of the design do you have your kind of fingers in? Uh, so basically, we run the the whole design of the game. So that's from coming uh, with the levels to actually building them to then implementing logic within those levels. But we work very closely, obviously, with the art team when it comes to uh, getting the visuals up and running and the programming team when it comes to getting things to work. The audio team tend to come on uh, a little bit later once the levels are built. And then that's kind of handled by our creative director. Very cool. And... The whole idea for Little Orpheus, where did that come from, the story? Ah, so Little Orpheus is basically inspired by everyone's joint love of those Saturday morning B-movie serials like um, Undersea Kingdom. And you can see that influence particularly in the way that we end each episode on a cliffhanger. It's got that kind of classic, what will happen to our hero that you used to get in those serials. So um, also, I think if you look at a lot of the visuals that we had, um, you can see Flash Gordon, you can see Ray Harryhausen. And 60s sci-fi in general, also big influences all over the game. Yeah, and it really does show, as uh, we'll talk about in a little bit, just with kind of the characters and things like that. As far as the gameplay, how does your character actually progress through the story that you're you're telling? We, we don't have any sort of massive progression of mechanics throughout the game. We wanted to keep everything quite simple because what we mainly wanted was a game where people could enjoy the gameplay without ever becoming stressful or irritating or repetitive. So we wanted to make sure that the story was first and then the gameplay was pretty much close after it. So what players can do in Little Office is they can run, they can jump, they can push objects around to solve puzzles. There's some fantastic sequences where you're being chased by a T-Rex where you've got to hide and sneak around. We've got pterodactyls that swoop down to attack you. We've got a snowball section where you have to uh, navigate a snowball down a hill chasing the villain. So there's a lot of variety in there, but we always try to keep the mechanics fairly simple. So we're not asking too much of players so they can actually enjoy the story. Yeah. And do you have a favorite device to play this on? I played it on the latest iPad Pro, which has the rounded screen for it seems like a perfect fit with the CRT style you guys uh, created for some of the cutscenes. Yeah, no, I bet, I bet it worked really well on that device, actually. Probably an iPhone, probably the X yeah. with a controller. I like to use the... Um, controllers the bluetooth controllers personally so um the game works really well on that on the device um also works very well on um 
the uh, Apple TV. Yeah, I didn't even, yeah, try an Apple TV. I have an older generation, so I uh, have not been playing as much on that. I need to upgrade that at some point. Yeah, it's very cool on that to see our visuals on the big screen because, you know, one of the things about the game is it's striking visuals, particularly for a mobile game. You know, we're, we're definitely pushing way above uh, the mobile kind of precedent for visuals. Yeah, that stood out. And the look and feel, where did that just generally come from kind of the artistic style you guys went for it's kind of like um it's a bit of a love letter to all the fantastical stories from the 50s the comic books the television serials there was a real kind of aim to capture the aspirations and escapable charm of that golden age and then try and get the kind of cross the glorious cinematic technicolor you know when films first went into technicolor and everything was so like over bright and over colored and that we, we really wanted to kind of replicate that. And then even though we knew it would be appearing on a as a two-dimensional experience, mostly on small screens, obviously you can play on iPads and on TVs, but we knew that most of our audience was going to be on iPhones. Uh, we wanted to take, basically take the depth, scale and fidelity of what was expected, but push it past that. And then kind of just like um, Harry Housen did back in the day, you know, give people something memorable, something they weren't expecting, something that's going to really stand out on the device. And then we kind of wrapped it all up by doubling down on that televised serial thing with the um, CRT style cutscenes that we have and also our Saul Bass style opening. Yeah. And I love the combination in the kind of matching up the story with uh, kind of the voiceover. So you, these cutscenes have uh, your character describing to the general this fantastic story that uh, we'll get to. Uh, can it possibly be real? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I love how, as you transition out of the cutscenes, there's this voiceover that continues to play out as you're doing the first part of your gameplay. Where'd, where'd that idea come from of mashing those up together? That it just kind of happened very naturally in the fact that what we, we wanted to make sure that right from the beginning, we knew we wanted to craft a very unique narrative experience especially within the framework of a platformer. If you look at platforming games, they kind of have this classic gameplay narrative break format where you get a chunk of gameplay, then it stops for a moment of narrative, then you go back to the gameplay. We didn't really want to do that with Orpheus. We wanted the story to be just as important as the gameplay, and therefore it actually became very natural to just tell that story over the gameplay and through those cutscenes into it. We wanted it all to feel seamless. It also meant that we could build that relationship between Ivan and the general in a very natural and believable way. Because you weren't seeing it in snippets of cutscenes, it, it was never disjointed. It actually felt like two people getting to know each other throughout the course of this incredible story that Ivan's telling. Now, there's a lot of enemies you encounter through this experience. There's dinosaurs and these little guys with flashlight type things do you have a favorite enemy that you kind of have to evade throughout your experience i think my personal favorite would probably be the t-rex um just because he he has that amazing sequence where uh, slight spoilers for anybody that hasn't played the game but it's in episode one so it shouldn't be too surprising or spoilerific but there's a a incredible sequence where ivan climbs into a an egg and uh, has to kind of navigate across this bridge and avoiding the t-rex's glances and it's just it's a really beautiful sequence everything came together really perfectly the storytelling of that section the kind of character design of the t-rex the absurdity of the situation matches kind of perfectly the absurdity of the whole tale it's it's, that's one of my favorite enemies yeah that was a great sequence and thinking about it from um 
could this actually have happened? Uh, is the egg slightly transparent for Ivan to be able to see through the egg when he's able to move again? Um, is the egg slightly transparent? Good question. I don't think we ever really thought about it. <laughs> the honest answer. Um, yeah. Ivan's not bothered about the small details in his story. So when he's telling the general that he's inside an egg crossing a bridge... To Ivan, that's a perfectly normal situation that doesn't need any further explanation. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I rather, rather did like that sequence of thinking about it from, uh, you know, if this actually happened, how would he have uh, done this kind of situation? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the music struck me right away, as well as the sound design. It's just very kind of enthusiastic and very cultural to, you know, Russia. Remind me a bit of kind of the terminal with Tom Hanks, how there's this made up country and John Williams made up this just very authentic music to that country. And uh, same thing here with Russia. And what kind of direction did you give uh, the composer and sound team for this game? Um, So our music is uh, the amazing creation of uh, the incredibly talented Jessica Curry alongside Jim Fowler. So any fans of Chinese Room will know that Jessica has been behind pretty much all of the soundtracks to our games. So from Esther to Everybody's Gone to Rapture, that's Jessica Curry. So to be honest with you, we just kind of sat back and let them do their thing. And as you said, it turned out amazing. I remember the first time we put um, some of Jessica and Jim's music into the game. And um, we kind of put it in there, boot the game up, played it. And it was a proper goosebump on the arm moment. Everything came to life. And it was like, yes, this is this is Little Orpheus. Yeah, and as you say, when you open this game, headphones are definitely encouraged, if not have the speakers on, because I can't imagine playing this game without sound. It's so integral with the voiceovers, and there's just no way you'd nearly enjoy it as much as you should without sound in this game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, that's why we kind of have that right at the start of the game. We have that picture of the headphones saying, this is best enjoyed with your headphones on, because the, the, the audio is a character in the game it's it's as important as ivan it's as important as the general it's as important of the of the general gameplay in the game the audio is right up there as one of the most important things for for the for the more in-game sound stuff we kind of um we really wanted our audio team to go larger than life and match those visuals that we've got so we kept pushing them go bigger go crazier don't be afraid to do something bizarre and crazy just because uh, a t-rex sounds like that in real life doesn't mean he has to sound like that in our game so you know, the walruses in episode four, they've got a slightly unusual sound. They don't necessarily sound like walruses. So we really wanted to, like, create this larger than life soundscape that matches that matched our visuals and Ivan's tale. Yeah. So Ivan and the general, are these characters based on real people at all or are they purely fictional? No, neither character is entirely based on a real person. However, what was interesting, and I learned this when I um, joined the project, is that um, Ivan Ivanovich is the actual name of mannequins they used to use when they were testing the Russian Vostok spacecrafts. So they used to have these uh, test mannequins they used to put inside things to to, obviously test them out, and they were called Ivan Ivanovich. So um, Ivan is kind of based on those, and if you were to Google Ivan Ivanovich and look at the the dummies, you would see a striking resemblance between them and our character. Um, But everything in the game is, is kind of based on either real or... Russian myths. So you mentioned the characters with um, the flashlights on their faces. Um, so before they have those flashlights put on those faces, they're called Menkv, and um, they're actually r- from Russian myths. So they're real hmm. characters. So is all of the places in the game, Plutonia, Sanakov, 
these are all things taken from real life Russian myths. So we um we really wanted to kind of be faithful to um our setting and our characters, and there was a lot of research done into all of this kind of history of Russia and things like that to make sure that it was an authentic experience as well as this larger than life tale. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I had not looked into kind of the Russian myths and things like that, but that that's really interesting. And you talked about a little bit earlier how each episode ends with the little cliffhanger and kind of TV show style from the 50s and 60s. Was that why you guys wanted to go episodic with making this? I think it's an eight episode game versus making it one big long experience. Yeah, it's very much um, part of the core DNA of the whole experience, the whole Saturday morning TV feel, that classic voiceover at the end, will our hero survive this intrepid danger that he finds himself? That was that was all written straight into the um, scripts in the early days. The game originally, when um, when we were first working on it, it was actually going to be released um, episodic properly. So one one every couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, so that it would be commuter friendly. So the idea was basically you could play episode one on your way to work on a train and when we, when we were still commuting to work. <laughs> right. Obviously not at the moment. So, um, but COVID kind of made all that redundant. So there was a decision made to put everything in in one big go, and I think I think I think it works really well because it, it's nice. You still get that cliffhanger moment, but you also get the immediate resolution. And it was also very important uh, about this idea that we could jump from world to world, from scenario to scenario, scenario without any without worrying about a join in it necessarily. You know, so mm-hmm. Ivan can go from this Plutonia jungle to this underground city and logistically if you were to draw a map it probably wouldn't make an awful lot of sense but because it's episodic and we're jumping around we're skipping time a little bit here and there it it works yeah did you guys have a time target to have each episode be a certain length and player time yeah yeah um the idea was that each episode is between uh 20 to 30 minutes long and overall i think the game probably comes in about four hours yeah, which was what we kind of wanted. We didn't want it to outstay its welcome. And one detail I love is when you're inside the whale. So you're inside yeah. this whale. You get eaten by a whale, as one does. And the surface you are walking on is obviously organic matter. It's a whale. So it bends to your weight, uh, which I just really love that detail. Were there any other little details in the game that as you play it, you're like, oh, we really nailed that little part that hopefully people recognize oh yeah so many um so yeah like you said the the bit inside the whale was terrific i I remember when they first showed me that and um i was just amazed that not only was that working but it was working on a mobile phone as well (laughs) Um, and then i think i I mean i love the bubbles coming out of ivan's diving helmet when he's under the ocean i think that's a really nice little attention to detail and the way that they move and uh sway with him as he jumps the walruses, they were they were really cool. I like the fact that we had uh, that we that we really went unusual with those. There weren't just the walruses that you would expect from Earth as we know it. In Ivan's story, they were completely random colors and patterns. Um, I think one of the things we would have definitely done had we had a bit more time or a bit more processing power is we'd have had more of that, more of those amazing creatures in the background. Um, or one one nice little detail that is a kind of, it's a bit of an inside, inside story, inside joke for us. Not necessarily a joke, but an inside little nicety is that um, at the start of episode two, Ivan walks through a village that is filled with the Menkf creatures. Yeah. And some of those creatures are actually voiced by our art director's son, and a couple of the others are voiced by, voiced by members of the team. So that's a nice little kind of, 
detail for the team itself. Oh, very cool. For the voice acting, how did you pick Ivan in the general? Um, they were there was a, a, a casting process, and our creative director basically auditioned a bunch of people. And I mean, you only have to hear the guy do um, his name is Gunnar. You only have to hear Gunnar do Ivan once, and it's like that's Ivan Ivanovich. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And that was all recorded. Uh, like, how far in advance? Did you guys have the voiceover and all that done before, like the gameplay and all that? What was kind of the order of operations with getting the game created? Um, so the there were versions of the script throughout um, that were constantly being tweaked and changed and um, updated. Um, our creative director, uh, Dan Pinchbeck, actually did a version of the script himself. So he read it out so that we could put the um, VO clips in the levels early before we had the actors come in and do it for real. Um, but they actually came in um, probably later than you would think. We had most of the levels up and running by the time that we had the proper uh, actors do the VO. So that was quite late in the process, really. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. And uh, one of my favorite moments, you're talking about the wall, uh, the inside the whale. The other great moment was you're inside a snowball as you're chasing <laughs> uh, down um, this, this villain. I forget the name of the villain, but you're chasing him Toll. in the snowball. Toll. Yeah, that's right. Do you have any favorite moments like that? His favorite kind of sequences, kind of big events. Uh, a lot of these events will actually show up in the opening kind of cutscene thing that we'll talk about in a little bit yeah i I, so i I mentioned it earlier but ivan and the egg is probably one of my favorite moments um mainly because of if you if you look at the little details actually it references back to your previous question about one of the little details as well in the fact that if the minute you get into that egg and ivan starts walking there is a piece of music that plays which is just a piano um just a piano piece of music but it plays in time to ivan's footsteps and as he walks, you hear the duh, 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 and then when you stop, it stops, and then it starts again, and then it stops, and it starts again, and stops. So that that worked really, really nicely. I love the ending, uh, which I can't, I won't talk about because it will spoil it. Yeah. But I, I really did enjoy our finale, our, our final showdown. That was uh, that was a particular favorite moment of mine. And something I noticed is the gravity plays a role in selling the environments you're in. In some places, you're jumping higher and other places not as much when did that realization come to your team that that would be important to sell the environment you're putting ivan in there was an instant decision really particularly with the underwater level we knew that if ivan's going to be under the water and he's going to jump he had to jump differently he's you know he's, he's underwater things have to behave differently so it wasn't it wasn't even just his jump it was his entire movement uh, that we changed for when he went under the water so but later on in the game um when you uh, you kind of you journey to a moon ish because you're still in, in the center of the earth we we went back and forward a little bit on that with the gravity we 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 tried a whole version of that episode that didn't have the low gravity jump because technically Ivan is still within the center of the earth we kept asking ourselves would would this have different gravity is you know would would this be like being up in space and ultimately what it came down to is is what felt better what was more fun and the answer to that was easy. It was the low gravity jump. It made the episode uh, f- more fun. It made it more unique as well. It gave it its own identity because it did actually play very differently from the underwater jump. Yeah. And yeah, it really does sell that environment. And it, it is kind of funny. Like all this is under Earth. It's underground. Yeah. Uh, somehow there's all these different ecosystems so close to the uh, molten core. There's snow. There's really hot places. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. 
Try not to think about it too much. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Our art director, uh, John McCormack, he um, he would always, whenever we were talking about each episode and where it was set and where we've come from, he would always get on a whiteboard and draw like the surface of the of Earth and like where the rocket launches, and then when it comes through, and draw the different layers to show us the journey <laughs> and try and explain it not only to like us but also to himself i think where it's like yeah that, this does make sense look he goes here then here then here this works and so you talking about the ending and how much you loved it were there different approaches you guys were thinking of for the ending did you guys was this always the ending you guys envisioned without spoiling it too much here Ooh, how 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 spoilerific should we get so we we we, we knew we always knew what the general would do at the end of the game we always knew that that's how that story would finish mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily always know how we would get to that ending um an early version had um, our last level set in a desolate rocky landscape and a giant statue of toll as the new world czar so very reminiscent of the end of planet of the apes um we did we did try out a few variations of the final encounter as well so that final showdown between ivan and toll there were quite a few versions of that that we actually had up and running in the game. None of them were as fun or as outrageous as what we eventually went for. <laughs> so, um, but um, uh, Dan Pinchbeck, our creative director, he wrote the entire story and also the incredible script that you hear uh, throughout the whole game. And every version of the script I ever saw had that more or less the same conversation happening between Ivan and the general right at the end. Now, I love in this story how like Ivan at some point is clearly just making this up and the general is very sympathetic with him. Like I love how this very um this general who says he will kill you is sympathetic to your character. I just love how that kind of shifts as you know at the very beginning of the story I don't think that would have been the case but as they grow a bond over these couple hours that tends to, that happens with them. Yeah, I think that the general comes to in in a certain way he comes to admire Ivan and admire his tenacity and his imagination and his willingness to keep spinning this tale that as far as the general is concerned is absolute rubbish now <laughs> Ivan completely believes the story and completely believes that that is exactly what happened to him and that is the exact adventure that he went on and we we do kind of leave it up to the player to decide but if you stick around for after the final credits there's a scene that does kind of lean it one way more than the other and i love the notion that his father is like a toy maker yeah <laughs> like that's a, just a lot of nice details about the character of ivan and you know his background and where he came from yeah and, uh, ivan is a completely fully fleshed out character um again our creative director who wrote the script wrote these bios for the characters of who they were where they came from ivan's entire family um, he's his uncle, who's also a pig dentist. Is <laughs> You're right. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole game, where he talks about his uncle, <laughs> the pig dentist. Um, we uh, and in during lockdown after the development of the game, we um, we always have rap parties for our games. But obviously, because we're all socially distanced and um, at home at the moment, our lockdown party was uh, on Zoom kind of social event. And one of the things we did was we had a um, a little Orpheus quiz. And one of the a lot of the questions were based around Ivan's family. You know, what was the occupation of this one, and who was the relative that had a uh, foul-smelling bowels, shall we say? <laughs> and as you play this game, you have this opening credit sequence, which is yeah. just brilliant. And kind of the fun thing as you're playing through this game is the opening credits is kind of like a spoiler for the entire game, but you don't really know fully what that is. Like, am I inside an ice rock? 
tumbling down the mountain. No, yeah. you're inside a snowball, and there's different aspects that kind of illuminate for you as you play the game. Yeah, so that was actually um, our art director, John McCormack's idea. Um, we were talking about what we could do for opening credits, and we, we always knew we wanted this TV-style opening credits, and we always knew we wanted to show uh, parts of the game and how they, you know, the future parts of the game and the parts that you were about to experience. But um, he kind of pitched a more Saul Bass-inspired version of it. So, you know, like um, what would be a classic one, um, Time Tunnel and things like that. You know, those, those sort of old-school TV shows that had that kind of look to it. He pitched that to us one day, and it was it was a proper eureka moment. It was like, yes, of course, that's how Little Orpheus should start. Of course, that habit will work. And then he worked um, alongside our animator, uh, Jim, to kind of create those. So even though it all looks very 2D, a lot of that is actually 3D that's then been <laughs> rendered down into 2D. Yeah, it's just a brilliant opening sequence and it really sets the tone for the game in a great way. Where can people find more information about Little Orpheus and your other games? They can go to our website, which is uh, thechineseroom.co.uk. And on there, it's got lots about Little Orpheus as well as uh, the other games that we've made over the years. Very cool. Well, thank you, Matt, for your time today. It's been wonderful learning more about this just really great uh, little game on Little Orpheus <laughs> uh, game on Apple Arcade. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Tim. Appreciate your time. Well, that was my interview with Matt all about Little Orpheus. My thanks to Matt again for his time recording and thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in to this episode. Make sure to check out Little Orpheus on Apple Arcade. You can find more information about their games at thechineseroom.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again on another episode of Apple Arcade Plus.